0: Hey there, Agile Highlanders fighting for your independence. And welcome to another episode of Agile Bytes, the podcast sponsored by Integrity Inspired Solutions, where we build software in an Agile manner day in and day out. You know, a couple of episodes ago, I said that I might do uh, a series on the assumptions behind Little's Law. And I have decided to do that, especially with some encouragement from listeners. And so as we work toward the assumptions behind Little's Law, our system becomes more stable. And that's why studying these assumptions can be useful. Because as we think about the things that Little's Law depends on, we begin to think about our own systems. Do our own systems behave that way? And it moves our systems to greater stability and greater predictability when we think about those things. Now, this is generally the point where some helpful person jumps up and says, well, we shouldn't focus on predictability, we should be focusing on value, sir. Thank you, sir. Thank you for sharing your opinion. Please sit down. This is a Wendy's. Well, obviously we should be focusing on value, but assuming that we're focusing on value, we can also focus on the stability of our delivery system. And that's what this is about. I said, sir, isn't it interesting that I assume somebody who would jump up and explain things to me was a man. I wonder if there's a special word for that, where men explain things to you. Huh. Anyway, well, I'm a man and I'm about to explain some things. So here we go. The first assumption of Little's Law is actually that the arrival rate and the departure rates are similar, ideally the same. And this is an aspect that I covered in some detail a couple of episodes ago. It's called Limiting Whip Without Whip Limits. And if you haven't listened to that episode, I encourage you to do so. It really is the beginning of this series. I just didn't know it was at the time, so I didn't announce it that way. But it kind of is. So you might want to go back and listen to that. It really talks a lot about matching your arrival rates and departure rates, how to do that and why that's important. And I don't really want to retread all that ground here, but that's the first assumption. Today, we're going to talk about the second assumption, and that is work that enters your system must leave the system. In other words, if you start something, you have to finish it. I told the story uh, a few episodes ago of when I was doing an engagement somewhere where the stated problem was, We have a developer team that's really slow. It takes them forever to finish something. And so I went, I embedded myself with that team. And over the course of the next couple of weeks, five different times, their manager burst into the room and said something along the lines of, Everybody, stop what you're doing. I had a conversation with the director of IT, and he is really excited about this other initiative. And I think we should pursue that. So... Quit working on what you were working on and do this other thing. Start these other items. Five times in two weeks, in 10 business days, five times, a manager made the team stop in the middle of what they had in progress to start a completely different set of priorities. So they were starting a lot of work. They were finishing virtually none of it. So they looked slow. And from a delivery standpoint, that is maybe an accurate way to describe them, but that's not really what was happening. As a side note, I think that this story also illustrates a very important thing about metrics, and that is that metrics tell you what is happening, but it doesn't tell you why it's happening. So if I were looking at a cumulative flow diagram of a team like this, say that was starting a lot of items, but many of the items got trashed, Midway, so that they could work on other things. If I were looking at like a cumulative flow diagram or I were looking at arrival rates and departure rates, the arrival rates would be very high, the departure rates would be very, very low. And if I look at those numbers, it might be easy to tell myself a story that, hey, I got a team who just likes to pull in work. They're just pulling in way too much. They're overcommitting, right? They're just starting, starting, starting and not waiting until they finish. And suppose there's some element of truth to that, but what was really happening was they were abandoning work in the middle and the metrics didn't really tell me that. So just goes to show that even though the metrics look a certain way, it's not a substitute for talking with your team about what's really going on, hearing their stories and interpretations and perceptions and finding out what the real story is so that you solve the right problem. Don't manage by spreadsheet. But having said that, We've probably all been in situations where we can sort of relate to this team I was talking about, maybe not with that degree of frequency. I mean, obviously five times in two weeks is, is very, very high, but we've probably all been in the middle of a project or in the middle of a certain group of features or something like that. And all of a sudden, for some reason, something comes along and we have to stop that work and go do something else. Or maybe there's a blocker that we can't resolve or, you know, some client has come in and asked for 12 completely different features and we want to make them happy. So we hope what we're doing on the shelf for a while, maybe we even intend to pick it back up at some point. But for whatever reason, that work just either gets stuck in the system or just never leaves. But in order for Little's Law to work, it assumes that all the work that comes in is eventually going to be finished. Well, how do we end up in situations where work doesn't get finished? There's a number of them. I already rattled a few off. One cause that I see a lot with teams is that the work isn't ready to be started to begin with. So enthusiastic team members pull the work in, and then we find out that we don't have all the information that we need to start the work, or we thought we were ready to go on something new, but it turns out we're not. This happens a lot when you have uh developer teams have the capacity for new work so they pull it but then someone down the line in QA finds things that they need to fix in some later work item so they have to take the thing they just started and put it on hold while they go do something else or work just gets trashed because of other work like i said these are all these are all things that take work that entered the system and then we abandon it we may only abandon it temporarily but we abandon it nonetheless And we end up with work that either takes an unreasonably long length of time to exit the system or in some cases never exit the system at all. It just kind of hangs out or we we move it back to the backlog. I mean, how many times have you taken something that was in progress and moved it back into the backlog? Why did you do that? How often does that happen? That's the kind of thing we're talking about, because every time we do that, then we are adding chaos and volatility to the system. And the reason that this is uh, harmful is because if we are trying to make plans around what our system can deliver, if we're trying to work at that sustainable pace, if we are trying to give people reasonable expectations of what our delivery flow looks like and make some plans around that, if we're trying to make sure people aren't overworked or You know All all the different things that a stable system gives us, if we want those things, then if we keep taking items that are in progress and then yanking them out of the flow, we're adding volatility and our ability to do that goes down because our predictions become less and less meaningful when any given work item might just disappear off the radar for a month or two and then maybe show up again, maybe not. So how do we avoid this? I've got uh, a number of suggestions just to get you going. There are certainly more. But, you know, we don't have time to go over everything you can do. There's a lot of things you can do. I'm going to give you some of my favorite ones. And then if you're a Scrum team, I got a special treat for you. I mean, we all know that sometimes I have a little bit of gentle ribbing about Scrum and our Scrum brothers and sisters. But today I have a special feature just for you, just suggestions just for you Scrum folks on this specific issue. So stay tuned for that. But let's talk to everybody for a while. How do we avoid starting work and then moving it back to the backlog or it hangs out forever and ever and ever and and we we don't work on it for a long period of time or maybe we just take it out of the system altogether. I want to start out with a piece of advice that I think is applicable to your entire life actually and not just agile software development. I think this is an important principle that serves you well. I think it builds character and trust with the people you have connections with. I am not always really good about what I'm about to share with you, and I struggle with it just as much as everybody else does. But it's this. Keep your list of commitments short, but your level of commitment high. Let me say that again. Keep your list of commitments short, but keep the level of commitment high. In other words, the number of things that you commit to, keep that number very low. Only commit to a very small number of things. But when you do, fully commit To those things. In life, there's just a lot of variability. There's a lot of circumstances that happen to us that change our conditions, that change our plans. There's always something shinier that comes along. There's always something that changes in our lives that means that something we used to be able to do, we can't do anymore. Those things always happen. Whenever we make a commitment, we are incurring risk, namely the risk of not being able to meet our commitments, right? So how do we mitigate that risk? Well, there's two basic ways that you do it. One way is that you are loosey-goosey about your level of commitment. And I think this is probably how most people do it, just judging from my own life and the lives of people around me, is we're very quick to say yes to things. We, we hate saying no to things. So we commit to a lot of things. We make a lot of commitments. And the way we deal with that is we just assume like we're not going to see them all through. Or maybe we intend to see them all through, but that's not realistic. Right. And if we were really honest with ourselves, we would know it wasn't realistic. So we keep our list of commitments high and we keep our level of commitment kind of low to middle. We we could let this stuff go at any given time. Maybe I won't show up for that meeting I said I was going to be at or, you know, maybe that thing I said I was going to get to that coworker today. I'm actually going to get to them next week because that's just how it's going to go. And we just have kind of normalized that. Right. Saying that we're going to do one thing, but but not not following through on it. And and we all kind of understand that's how life is and we all give ourselves grace and that's good, we should. But I would recommend that I think it's better to commit to fewer things and really commit to those few things. And this applies to our software development as well. Software development teams are very bad about saying yes and we're gonna get going on that. Yeah, I know that's important. I'm gonna put somebody on it today. Yeah, I know you need that report. I'm gonna get right on it. We say stuff like that all the time, but it's not realistic. And because we say stuff like that all the time, we can't realistically do it. And this erodes trust. It maybe avoids a difficult conversation up front, but it introduces a difficult conversation later down the line when we can't do all the things that we said we were going to do in a timely and consistent manner, right? So we really need to adopt this philosophy of let's be slow to commit, but when we do, we are committed. Like we are going to see this thing through to the end because we said we would. And having greater consistency on a smaller amount of commitments builds trust and it reinforces good behaviors and it repairs relationships. So think about that as you think about your personal obligations on your team and as you think about your team's obligations to the larger organizations. There are plenty of other things we can do. For example, something I always urge is that user stories should be the smallest deliverable that you can make. It needs to have value. You know, I'm not saying you should have a user story like add a first name field to a form, but it needs to be the smallest deliverable unit of value you can possibly imagine. Be ruthless in paring down your user stories. It's better to have 10 very tiny user stories than to have one big user story that is secretly 10 deliverables rolled up into one. Because the smaller the deliverable is, then the smaller the time frame they're going to spend in the system and the greater the odds are that you're going to get it all the way from point A to point B without something interfering with that process. Another thing you can do is avoid what I like to call container cards. And these are cards that serve as a container for other items. So if I have a card on the board that says QA defects, for example, and as QA finds things, I keep adding tasks to the card. Man, that card is never getting off that board, right? Because the content is always changing, right? It's always filling up. There's always new things that can go into that card. We need to avoid those. We need to make sure that our work items, our user stories, whatever your work items are, are small and specific so we can get them off the board. We don't want to put these large overarching placeholders that fill up over time. Another thing that I recommend for your team is to prefer creating new items over adding to existing items. You know, so let's say we are developing a user story. Let's say we want to add Canadian dollars to our order form, right? And so we're in the process of adding adding Canadian dollars to our order form. And then somebody says, oh, you know what? We should also have a converter to display prices in Canadian dollars. We don't have that right now. We just have the ability to pay. Make. The price display a different card. Don't add it to the currency card that you're currently working on. Prefer starting or creating new cards as opposed to adding to something that's already in progress. Because again, the shorter amount of time something spends in the system, the less risk there is of something interfering with it. Also, it's a benefit to your organization because now they can prioritize that along with all the other cards. And yeah, maybe it makes sense that that's the next thing you do, but it might not. And if you add it to the card that's already in progress, you are hijacking the organization's ability to prioritize it differently. If you create it as its own card, then the business can prioritize it in the proper order, along with all the other pieces of value that they want to see. So have a culture of as new things come up, if they are their own tiny deliverable, Make a new card out of it. Don't keep adding stuff to things that are in progress. Another thing you can do is swarm. Put as many people on a work item as you can without, you know, creating a bunch of overhead and people stepping on each other's toes and things like that. Be rigorous about this. And sometimes we do have work items that are one person jobs, but don't let your developers get away with saying, well, you know, it's not worth it to bring another person onto this. That may be true. But take a look at the list of subtasks under that card. If there's like more than two or three, probably would benefit from at least one other person, right? So put as many people on one item as you can instead of spreading people out over multiple items. Again, the sooner you can get something out of your system, the less likely it is that something will interfere with delivery. So having multiple people on one card as opposed to having one person on multiple cards is gonna be preferable. Another thing that you can do is address blockers quickly. Don't roll over, right? I know a lot of teams, as soon as a card gets blocked, say it's a technical issue or it's a dependency, you're waiting on another team, or there's a piece of information that you need, or, you know, Dave needs to sign off on this and, and you know, he's out of the office today or whatever. Teams will block cards, they will move on to new cards and forget all about that other card until a week later. And it just kind of sits there. Make your blockers visible. Talk about them every day. You may not be able to do something about them every day, but they should never drop out of your consciousness. If a card is blocked, that should be something the team is talking about in their daily scrum or daily stand-up every single day. What's the state of this blocker? Is there anything that we can do to move this blocker forward. And then the last suggestion I have for you, and again, there's many more things we could suggest. The last suggestion I have for you is to make sure that you have the mindset of deliver something and iterate on it as opposed to spend as much time as you can getting it right before you deliver it. This is an agile way to think about feature development. If you need agility, then it's because you don't really know for sure that you've built the right thing. So quit trying to invest in getting everything as full, as, as gold-plated, as, as rich as it can be before you get it out the door. Get it out the door and iterate on it. That's the heart and soul of what it means to do exploratory agile development. Now, I'm not saying release low-quality stuff. I'm not saying release incomplete stuff. Your stuff should work, and your stuff should deliver the tiny, tiny... Increment of value that you've defined in that work item. So definitely make sure those things are the case. But don't keep working on something and keep holding it back. Deliver it, deliver it, iterate on it. Did you miss something? Great. Make a new card, deliver that. Is there something that could improve what you did? Great. Make a new card, deliver that. But deliver your thing and get the feedback on it and iterate on it. Don't adopt a strategy of this thing needs to be in progress until we have buffed out every conceivable scratch, or we have put in every conceivable helpful thing that could be in this card before we show it to anybody. Have your mindset of, I want to get something in front of you so you can tell me what the right thing is. Favor that over, let's make sure these items are as good as anyone could possibly conceive them to be before we show them to anybody. So now, Scrum folks, did you stay in the room? I asked you to. And that's because I have a treat just for you. Because if you're doing Scrum, you are only committed to your sprint goal. Did you know that? Did you know that Scrum teams do not commit to backlog items? They don't. They commit to sprint goals. So your commitment is to achieve the sprint goal. Now, some of you may be thinking, wow, we don't use sprint goals. So, A, Use sprint goals. B, once you start using sprint goals, I have podcast episodes on that, by the way. Once you start using sprint goals, now you've got a goal to accomplish. When you are doing sprint planning, pull the least amount of work that you can that accomplishes the goal because the odds are pretty good that you have uh, PBIs in your backlog and all of them are related to the goal, but not all of them are essentially critical to accomplishing the goal. Be rigorous with yourself. Don't look at at a PBI and go, well, this has something to do with our goal, so we should pull it. Don't do that. And definitely don't go, well, we've got extra capacity on the sprint, so let's pull more stuff. Put together the smallest body of things that you can to achieve the goal and do those things. Now, if you've got all kinds of time, if it looks like you're gonna have a bunch of time left over on your sprint, and you wanna pull another item or two, and that seems wise, and you feel pretty good, about being able to complete that. There's nothing stopping you from doing that. You can put other things into the sprint besides things that are related to your sprint goal. The Scrum Guide doesn't say you can only work on stuff that's related to a sprint goal, but it does say you can't put the sprint goal in jeopardy. So what you wanna do is keep your commitment small. Accomplish that commitment and then if you have all this free time, now you can decide how, what the best way is to spend that time for the rest of the sprint. Maybe it's pulling new work items, maybe it's doing other kinds of activities, but, but I recommend that tactic because again, that keeps your commitments small. It keeps the batch sizes small and it increases the likelihood that whatever work has entered into your system is going to leave the system. And then finally, keep the sprints as short as you can because small sprints means small goals and small goals mean small commitments. And that's the name of the game, right? If you really want to make sure that work that you commit to leaves the system, then you want that body of work to be as small as you can make it. And the mechanism that Scrum uses to limit batch size is goal plus sprint length. So you want your sprints to be as small as possible to keep your commitments as small as possible. And really, even if you're not on a Scrum team, any work that you decide to pull in needs to be pretty close to your just-in-time rate of completion, right? So that our commitments stay small. So if you are conscientious about this, if you are thinking about your work, if you're thinking about your team's obligations, and instead of just starting and agreeing and committing to all these things, you have the mindset of, I want to keep my commitment as small as possible, and I want to do whatever I can to get work through the system as quickly as possible and not keep making it bigger, keep adding to it, not letting it sit around because there was a complication, then you're going to get things moving through the system and you will guarantee that things that you start get finished and then you will discover that the predictability of your system becomes much more stable. Thanks, everyone, for listening to Agile Bytes. Agile does sometimes bite, but we don't think it always has to. If you enjoyed what you heard today, don't forget to like and subscribe to this podcast on whatever platform you happen to be using. And if you can, leave us a comment because we'd love to hear your feedback. What things would you like to hear about? What things did you hear that were valuable to you today? You can also head over to integrityinspired.com to sign up to our email list. But that's all for today, folks. We'll see you next time.